Kendra Lee, prospect attraction expert, and you are here with Sassholes. Welcome. Welcome to Sassholes. With decades of making interesting decisions, Jamie and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with their no BS approach and tactics. Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank the Man Farm Winalytics, Trent S. and Aaron J. for their continued support. Manfarm.com, unlock key account growth, smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Go to demandfarm.com, ask for Ironman. Hey, check out Brent Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass at Winalytics.com. In eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in a new buyer environment. Sign your team up for the Masterclass today at Winalytics.com. If you'd like to help us out to improve the quality of our content, go to Patreon.com slash Sassholes. It's time for shoutouts. Big kudos, Richard Castellini, the old school, starting a new position as COO North America at V-O-N-Q, Vonk. I'm sure you'll work on changing the name. Hey, congratulate Maggie O'Malley, two years at Knowledge Beginnings. Shout out to Eric Morgan, 21 years at Chicago Transit Authority. Louis Christopher, just got a new gig at ZipRecruiter. Way to go, man. Carlos Gomez, one year at Amazon Web Services. What's up, Carlos? Ray Sitkowski, four years at Motion Recruitment. Robert McDonald, 12 years at Sands Casino Resort Bethlehem. Hey, Mike Tripodi, three years at Gloat. Dion Meyer, starting another position as super awesome sales trainer at Aslan Training and Development. Janice B. Gordon, Paula S. White, they just got a new gig as early stage investors at Ben Gresso. Type less, do more. And then Steve Rickson, 13 years at CDW. Kendra Lee, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, Pete, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, it's early. It's early. Kendra, tell tell us about KLA. You know, we got a bunch of new... Uh, Salespeople and a bunch of new sales managers that just pop on to, to listen to us for whatever reason, and and they want to say, hmm, if I run across KLA, what is it? What is Kendra Lee known for? What what do we tell them? So we are a sales and marketing agency, and I have to tell you that we actually started off as a sales training company focused on new business development. That's my personal passion. And what we discovered is we were working with clients, teaching them how to do all of that prospect attraction. It started moving over into the marketing realm and we'd train them in marketing. How do you do that? And they wouldn't do it. And then we'd give them the tools to do it and they wouldn't do it. So we discovered, oh, on the marketing side, we have to do it for them. So we still do the sales training and coaching because those of us who are salespeople all know mm. that we take responsibility for our own success. And then on the marketing side, since we understand the sales so well, we actually will do whatever they need on the marketing side as much as they would like to do, they can do, or we pick up the rest. So that's who we are. Got it. So new logos, that's a different type of animal, huh? Yeah, that is definitely 
Um, but it's it's what we all love to do, our whole marketing team and the sales team. That's where the passion, the fun, the excitement yeah. is. Yeah. Oh, no, I love new business. I was in new uh, new logos, new business, business development. You never know what you're going to get. Every day is different. But can can you actually yeah. train somebody uh, to do that, or you have to recruit somebody to do that? Don't you need a certain type of personality? You know, I believe that sales is not an art, that it is something that you can teach. So you, yes, can teach people how to do new business development. There are attributes that you look for that will help someone be successful, but you can train them how to do it. They just have to want to do it. And you have to get underneath what might be causing someone not to do their prospecting. What, what do you think the uh, top three attributes of a new local salesperson are if you're going to go out and recruit them? Um, the first one is that will to be successful. You know, they really want to. The second one is taking responsibility for their success. Notice how neither of those are skills, right? Right. So they take responsibility for their success. And the third one is to be a duck. Let it all just kind of roll off. The people that we find are most successful are, are comfortable even if they get told no repeatedly or they hear negative things because they realize it's not about them. Somebody that's risk averse, you know, I don't know why they're in sales. They probably got into it because they couldn't get a job and what they got their degree in undergrad. So they, <laughs> they, they fall into sales and they say, here you go. You're a business development rep or a BDR. Here you go. Go make a, a gazillion calls and get rejected 95 times out of a hundred. Um, <laughs> well, there's so, risk adverse. And then I, I look at it as, so I am not your normal new business development person because, and, and people, people who know me know this, I, I am a shy person. I am absolutely an introvert. And yet I love talking to new people. I love talking about the challenges that they're encountering and how they can get past it. So you know, everybody defines risk a little bit differently. And what I would say is when you're training a person to do new business development, the first thing is, how are they going to approach someone? If they can get past, how do I start the conversation? Then usually you can get them to make the calls, send the emails, go out on LinkedIn and then from there, you can deal with how do you get past gatekeepers? You know, how do you handle the objections? You can get past all the other things. They get stuck with how do I start? Yeah, how do you start? It's that first style, you know, the fear of the rejection. Yep. Uh, how do you get in your training process? How do you get these new people to not take things personally? You know, like <laughs> they're rejecting you personally versus your business persona how do you teach that it's understanding what might be going on in the other person's life 
when you interrupt them because prospecting is all about interruption. There's the calling, the emailing, you know, even LinkedIn, you're interrupting what they were trying to do. And so recognizing that they're busy people, they have a life, things could be going on, and you just interrupted them. So it's not about you. It really is about what's going on in their life at that point in time. And when you recognize that, it's like, oh, it, it isn't me. Must be a really bad day for them. <laughs> that getting into like ethos, logos, pathos, you know, you can only control two out of the three, the mindset of the other person you're talking to. That's, you know, up to the fates. And that's why, mm -hmm. I don't know, I like to use 66% uh, or two thirds, whatever you do, getting the quota, making phone calls, the luck that you have, you can only control two, two out of those three. Mm -hmm. And when you're pulling the, uh, the slot machine handle, uh, whether it's a phone call or it's an email, you, you got me on a clickbait of never cold call again. How do you get a hold of somebody without cold calling? I and mean, I'll answer my own question with, you have an article from the late 90s that says, uh, use email. <laughs> I don't know if I had I email back then. How does that all work? I started talking about email way back in the early 90s. It's so funny. I still remember the very first speech I did on using email, and the room was overflowing with people trying to figure out what the heck was email and how would we use it in selling. <laughs> so it goes back to me sharing that I am more of an introvert and I am shy. So my preference is to as whenever I'm doing cold calling is always to lead with something besides the phone and then do the phone. So you warm it up. You can email first. And there it's so, it's so interesting. You can email first. You can send a LinkedIn message first. You can even do the old fashioned send a direct mail letter first. It's very old fashioned and it's slower. Yeah. Um, that, something that makes you feel like I've already reached out to them and this is the second attempt, not the first. And so now you have warmed it up. And to do it without cold calling, you have a system whereby you are reaching out repeatedly for a period of time and then you pick up the phone. And when you pick up the phone after that, it's not cold calling because you've been reaching out to them in other ways. And, and you have done something of value as part of that. You've shared interesting information. You've told them that you have interesting information to share. You may have um, sent them a link to something. You, know, there's, you may have invited them to an event. So there's lots of different ways that you can do it so that when you actually do pick up the phone, it's not cold anymore. So prospecting, let's go over the, the timeline here. You had, uh, you had the fax machine right you had you had email I, I remember that old thermal paper and just blasting the hell out of that thing you, you had email you're trying to catch you're trying to interrupt somebody's day if they just happen to have the need and then you you pop up then the internet came around then google came around you know it 20 years ago, it was all the knowledge was dispersed. It wasn't centralized. Now it seems to me like the buyers 
already know what they want. They've narrowed it down to two or three, and it's up to the two or three to dance for their supper. Have you seen those types of changes over time? Oh, without a doubt. And, and it's one of the reasons that we expanded into marketing, because if you're truly going to warm up a call or warm up a prospect, you're doing a lot of marketing activities. You know, you've got things on your website that um, people can find. You'll be found through SEO, through pay-per-click. People will Google and an article that you've written, like you just said, will pop up or a resource and they sign up for it. All of that has changed how you prospect. And in savvy organizations that are doing marketing, They've got marketing activities that are happening and they're actually passing marketing qualified leads to sales to follow up. You're still using your new business development techniques to follow up because you don't know if those leads are real or not unless they actually filled out a contact us form. Um, so you're still using those skills, but you now know either they visited your website or they downloaded something. They took some type of action that narrowed that big giant pool of prospects down. You think sales and marketing should be underneath the same leader? Oh boy, that depends on the leader. <laughs> so- Well, we're assuming they're all good leaders. So how about well, budgets? Should they be underneath the same budget? I don't like seeing them in the same budget because I think it muddies what you're trying to do in both places. Um, as far as leaders, it's really critical that the sales leader before they take on marketing is a good mentor and coach their sales team, that they're holding their sales team accountable. And we work with a lot of smaller companies. Our okay. clients we work with are typically between a million and 85 million in annual revenue. So a sales leader may have one to five salespeople. And so it makes total sense that you would want to combine sales and marketing under that one leader. But if they're not spending the time with the sales team that needs to be spent and they're spending all their time on marketing, it doesn't matter how many leads you generate, you're not going to get the return from your sales team that you could. Well, that, that's 185 million. It's probably still founder led. And then they say, you know, I want to get me a chief revenue officer <laughs> and they generally have sales and marketing. And then you got to go in and you're like, Oh, here's this guy yep. who the founder says they anointed them. The one they generally don't last that long. They 18 months and they go on to the next gig. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I'm asking. Should sales and marketing be different or do you have one leader? It depends on the leader. I understand what you're saying, but it's, Mm -hmm. I'm from, you know, maybe like you, the old school where marketing has always sucked because <laughs> they always give us bad leads. And then marketing always says that sales sucks because we couldn't convert the leads that they paid for. But if you have it underneath, you know, the same head, the same budget, then it's all that kind of goes away. That's kind of where I was going with it. Are you seeing that when you're calling into companies that ask for your services? A lot of the clients that we work with, have it under one when they're on the smaller side they have it under one because of the size that they are and it might be the business owner 
it might be a person right below the business owner. Um, I think a lot of it, there's two sides to this. One is accountability. So if the business owner has hired that chief revenue officer and put them together, the business owner still has to hold that person accountable for marketing activities being done and sales being coached and guided and held accountable, right? So never can that accountability go away. On the other side, I look at it and I say, sales and marketing have to be working in lockstep. You know, we have a client that, boy, I, I hate to tell you for how many weeks this has been going on in possibly yeah. months, where on the phone, in the coaching calls is the sales executive and the person responsible for marketing. And the sales executive in every meeting says, we get those leads and we don't know what they are. And the marketing person says, but we've done the marketing and we've given you the leads. And no matter how many times we have the conversation about how do you align them, they continue to butt heads. It's like neither one wants to hear the other. <laughs> right. So you have to be in alignment. Sales has to tell marketing what they need. Marketing has to be able to say to sales, here's what we can do. And when they pass the leads, here's what these leads are. Here's what happened. And ideally, you've got it in the systems where sales can look and see what actions somebody has taken. But if you can't see that in your system, then marketing has to be able to share that. So they just have to be working together and listening to each other. Well, the owner or the founder, I mean... I'm a fan of influence, but sometimes you need authority where he says, Hey guys, this is what we need to do. But yes. then the owner hires these people and says, you guys figure it out. What do they you wash their hands? You know, Oh, I hired a sales leader who has lots of experience. And I hired a marketer who has lots of experience. I now can go do other things. And, and that's why I said, no, they have to be held accountable. There's upward reporting. And if you're doing that, then people are going to pay attention because they know they're going to be asked about it and they'll work more tightly together. Where does product come into play? My thinking is if what you're selling is easy enough to use and it creates value for the person, then you don't need that much explanation or really good salespeople or marketing. How does product come into play? Does that get back to the owner and founder too? Or is there debt, a leader of product at between one and 85 million? You know, there is typically not a leader of product in that side, in that size company. Um, as you get toward the bigger companies, you may start to see that. Um, but your product determines how you should be selling. Complex solutions need a salesperson. Um, if they're very large sales and they need, um, explanation, then I could see that you would need sales. So the product and the solution are an indicator of whether you need sales. The other is your culture. You know, we provide um, SEO services. I'll use that as an example. Well, you can go to some companies to get SEO and, and you can practically order it online. we provide very white glove services. The clients that we work with don't necessarily understand it. They're trying to figure out who should they be targeting. They need help with that. The sales team isn't necessarily all the way up to speed. And so the level of service that we provide, even though we're doing search engine optimization, is such that 
we're not just going to have you go order it online <laughs> because we have to have some conversations and we're starting from the beginning showing this is what our culture is. So culture comes into play along with product. The culture, that's a uh, very... <laughs> If the founder's still around, I, I get it. And as you grow and you add people, it dissipates. But while you still have the founder around, I, I would think one of the biggest services you provide is helping the founder and the team understand what their differentiators are. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? How, mm -hmm. how, do you how do you ask them the questions to figure out how they're different from their competitors? Because I'm sure, to me, a simple way is just call up your competitors and see what their features are and see how much they sound like what you're saying on, on the phone. And if everybody's saying the same thing, the buyer's confused and they make no decision. Mm -hmm. How do you get through all that, Kendra? We actually start with the clients. So not with the competitors, because what you're talking about are features. And we may have all the exact same features um, but there may be the ways that we deliver it, how we work with the client that actually are your differentiation. Even your sales process can be your differentiation. So um, it's starting with the clients. Um, when we're working with clients doing their um, lead generation planning and we're doing a deep dive, one of the activities we'll often have them do is to go interview their clients and we give them a list of 10 questions to go ask. And buried in those answers is what really makes them different. So your clients can tell you even if you don't recognize it. The challenge is they may tell you and you still don't recognize it. <laughs> Where does price come into play? <laughs> um, this also depends on what your strategy is. You know, there are companies where they want to be the low cost provider or they're building their business. And so they're going to start with whatever price and then they'll start to be to build that price from um, on that. Um, so it really depends on what your what your focus is. But to me, you know, with the clients that we work with, price is not what they're selling on. And if they are, they need to leave. <laughs> I'm just thinking from the buyer, you know, they've done their research. Okay. This is a very, uh, I, I understand what the service, it's almost, I don't want to say commodity, but I know what they got. They're reputable. They've been around. They've all been established. So it's coming down to this and prices in the back of their mind, budget payment terms. You know, I don't want to do a three-year subscription. What, what, mm -hmm. what, what do you think it, What's going on behind the scenes when this buyer's trying to put the decision together and how can you coach the clients that you, you do business with? Oh, well, clearly we all want to get the best price that we can. So they're going to come back and they're going to try the client every possible way they can to negotiate a lower price. Um, the key is early on in the sales process that you have identified you know, why it is that they're making these decisions, what is the problem that they're addressing, um, what's the impact that it's having on their business, and you're able to use that when you talk about price, in addition to 
the value that you provide over someone else. Um, so that's how we look at it. And, and it's getting beyond the price because that's usually just one thing. There's, if, if they're leaning towards someone besides you, then there's, there's potentially something missing that they were looking for from you, or they cannot see any differentiation between you. So it's, it's either figuring out, do they not see the differentiation and now we need to show it? Or um, is there a drawback or something that they've identified that you have to overcome and show them, no, that's not the case. So new logos, how do you determine who holds the responsibility to determine where to put the sales pressure? Here, you call this. Who? <laughs> and if they're going to call that, why are they calling that? I'm sure companies use you to help them out in that situation. You're how, talking you about how do they decide what target markets they want to pursue? They got, they bought this data, which I'm sure is 100% correct. Oh, and absolutely. They, <laughs> and then they, they dumped it in the Salesforce or whatever they're using. And they click on the screen and it's like, who do I call first? Who makes that decision? Should it be the rep or the, the leader? Um, it comes from the leader as to who our target markets are. And then the reps use that information to do the research and identify who are the top prospects we should go after and share that information back with the leader so that the reps feel some ownership as part of it as well. Because if they're the ones that are doing the research and they're coming back and they're saying, here's who I recommend, they've got some, some say in who they're calling, but the target market itself should be top down, not bottom up. Do you want to give control to a 23-year-old kid that says, uh, here, you decide who you want to call on? Is that what you're saying, Kendra? Exactly. I do not want to give control to the 23-year-old kid. <laughs> the other thing is your whole business, you know, if you've got a service delivery arm, they, they have processes that align with whoever your target market is. And, and I've seen this where the 23-year-old kid comes in and suddenly says, you know what? I see a lot of construction going on. We should go after construction. I'm going to start calling construction companies when the firm is all about professional services and understands, you know, lawyers and CPAs and maybe architects, but they've never dealt with someone, you know, an industry like construction. And now, now you're trying to do service delivery to them because some 23-year-old salesperson decided, oh, I'm going to call on construction. It disrupts your whole business. Well, are they is the kid doing that because they don't trust the leads or there's no... <laughs> no, they don't have direction. It's no, not, they don't have direction, right? Yeah, it's not because the salesperson doesn't have the leads. It's because they don't have direction. Nobody said, this is who our target market is. This is what they care about. This is why we serve them, how we serve them. So the salesperson didn't have any basis for a conversation or where to go looking for a list. So it, it truly is direction. That's why I said sales leadership is just so critical. It, 
it is. And the 23-year-old kid, they, they all, everybody wants to know why now. Okay, they want to know reasons why. Here's the reason why. There are customers that have bought our product that are, that are between this company size, this employee size, this revenues per year, this NAT code. And it's not 100%, but it's better than a shot in the dark that you'll be better off calling these than those. Do you get me? Great. Here, start right. with these first. The big yeah. ones first, right? It's the training, right? Here's why we chose this target market. Here are clients that are in that target market. Here's the value they got from working with us. It's why they like working with us. It's what they buy from us. If you can find more like them, you're more likely to be successful than trying to go break into a whole different industry or size organization than what we've done in the past. How long is the training? If, if somebody brings you in and says, hey, I need you to train all my new people, how long does training last nowadays? What I'm getting to is how long do they actually pay attention to you? Because everybody's <laughs> got a phone now and they're, you know, cell phone blocking is illegal. Maybe you throw them all in a bucket. Uh, how long is, how, in, in terms of days, how long is the training? And then in terms of hours or lesson plans, how long can they pay attention to you now in one mm -hmm. sitting? When we're training anyone, new hires or not, we recognize that if you put someone in a room for even, let's say, six hours instead of eight hours, they can only absorb so much. They also don't have the opportunity to practice except in whatever scenario you have created in the room. Even if you set them up with phone calls, they can only practice in that short period of time. We all know that it takes 30 days to create a habit. So when, when we're training or we're working with clients to design their onboarding as part of um, training them how to hire, we look at it over a period of time. And so our own prospecting training runs over 10 weeks. They meet once a week for an hour, plus they have a video that they watch just 30 minutes and they have an assignment. And their assignment is to go do whatever they learned in the training. And they're gonna go do it in their territory for a week. And then they're going to build on it in the next week. And it feels slow to business owners, right? They want you to know everything yesterday. But what we're doing is creating that habit. And we're giving the salesperson time to fully understand how to do that piece, then building on that piece. And so the key is, when you're training new hires, you're going to train them in smaller bits, but over a longer period of time. How do you use video? I mean, video is, everybody's using it now. Do you give it like the night before and say, hey, watch this and then come in, we'll talk about it? Or how, how, how long are the videos? What, what's your process? Our process is to give the video at the end of each 
class each week and they have that week to watch the video and get their next assignment done while they're practicing what they learned from the previous one. And we're not hand-holding them. You know, we're all professionals. We know what we need to do. Our expectation is when they come to class that they will have watched the video and done their assignments. <laughs> In order to get the adoption, you got to get the sales managers or the directors or the VP bought yeah. in. How do you do that? Do you do that before the training even starts? What, yes, or do you have to go to it. the owner or the founder and say, hey, man, I need your buy-in? Yes, it is before the training ever starts. Often they're involved before they've even made a decision to do the training. So the sales manager, the business owner are part of it. And then before the training begins, we go through, here's what will be trained. And we learn from them about their team. They share, you know, you know, why is um, John really good at one thing, but he's not good at another? And, you know, Sally has missed her quota consistently, or we hired Tom because, so that we have background on each person. Um, and it's very collaborative. We actually meet regularly with the sales manager um, to keep them up to date on what we're seeing. And sales managers are typically going through the training with their reps. So they're hearing and then together we're sharing. And so there's a degree of coaching for the sales manager while the training is occurring as well. To, to tease the watchers out there, what is the recommended cycle now? I don't want to say drip campaign, but it, let's just say it's six weeks. You start out with a couple emails sending a video what what is your magic formula i know you can't give anything away for free but get what are whistles what should it look like when should you stop calling a prospect well that's a great question question and we train it but we also have it out on our website in our resources section we call it the bloodhound follow-up strategy um, in training, we teach how do you switch up your bloodhound and all, um, but we actually give the cadence to use in your bloodhound. Um, it, it runs over a month and it involves a combination of calling, email, LinkedIn, calendar invitations, and video. So you've got lots of different ways you are trying to reach a contact. Um, and basically, you're reaching out every three days. If you have not engaged after that 30 days, then you're going to pause and reach out again and start your whole, whole bloodhound over again. Um, but that's at its highest level how your cadence works. And you're going to switch up what you're doing, you even switch up your message at different points to try and engage that person. And who's the chief dog in that process? Is there a sales operations person that oversees Salesforce at the level that you're talking about? Or is it the sales manager keeping an eye on the leads? Because the rep is going to say, oh, no, this is a great opportunity. I want to hold it for uh, three years. <laughs> 
it would be the sales manager who is paying attention to make sure our leads being followed up on. And you know, if they're not getting a response after that 30 days, it's a waste of time. Um, and we want to put them into either a marketing cadence so that we're gonna try and warm them up or we are going to put them into Salesforce for here's the time when we're gonna try the Bloodhound again, or we're okay. gonna do both. <laughs> got it, got it. Kendra, what's the best way for watchers and, and listeners to learn more about you since we piqued their interest? I'd say go to our website, klagroup.com. All of our training and our marketing is out there, as well as a boatload of resources and um, a very active blog. So definitely go there um, to, to learn more about us or you can call us directly. Phone call, really? <laughs> I'm still about the phone. 303-741-6636. Reach out to us directly. Kendra Lee, thank you so much for coming on The Sassholes. Thank you for having me, Pete. This has just been a blast. You have asked a wide range of questions that a lot of people don't ask. It's been very um it's been very insightful, I'm sure, for our listeners. Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank the Man Farm Analytics, Trent S. and Aaron J. for their continued support. Demandfarm.com, unlock key account growth, smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Go to demandfarm.com, ask for Ironman. Hey, check out Brent Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass at winalytics.com. In eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in a new buyer environment. Sign your team up for the masterclass today at winalytics.com. If you'd like to help us out to improve the quality of our content, go to patreon.com slash sassholes. Watching us, we're just rehearsing. We're getting ready for a show um, on the 10th of September in Schaumburg at Empty Barrels, okay, at 1030. We're gonna bring Schaumburg back to its 80s royalty. But hey, you can come earlier because we got this awesome band called- Joan Jett. Yeah, they're Joan Jett. The Joan Jett, yeah, that Joan Jett, yeah. yeah. It's called, um, it's called Bad Reputation. There. Bad Reputation, that's what We're called sassholes for now. I don't know. Well, for always. For always. Because we are assholes with sass. Okay, let's go, guys. We're assholes with sass. Um, 
fun song. Okay, we're going to let you guys go because we've got some real rehearsing to do.